Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Thursday, October 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro and Options and Ron Gross from Motley Fool Total Income. Gentlemen, welcome. I feel like it's an embarrassment of riches with wow, both of you. That's so kind of that you. That is kind. Well, you know. Don't you got to include yourself there. You're not too shabby. No, no, no. I'm not part of the riches. You are part <laughs> of the riches. And the riches will include some discussion about Disney and Square. But let's begin with pizza. Ron, I know mm, this is please, one of your favorite less. subjects. Domino's reporting better than expected earnings on Thursday. Ron, I see these numbers and I see some pretty strong same store sales numbers. But shares of Domino's down today. What is going on? I don't know. <laughs> no. Thank you. See, you're getting. I think we're getting tripped up, and and rightly so, I guess, on the better than expected uh, phrase. But then the actual reason the stock's down, and the, the reason the stock's down is because same store sales were up eight point four percent, not too shabby, right? Right. Versus thirteen point eight percent this time last year. Uh-huh. So growth is slowing, and the market is selling the stock off as a result. But yet, as you rightly said, they were better than expected. So that makes no sense. So we can conclude here that the market makes no sense in the short term. And on any given day, the headlines can be misleading. You don't know exactly why people are selling off stock. These numbers are fantastic. They continue to be fantastic. You can't be unbelievably fantastic forever. And so growth is slowing. But as I said, international store sales up 5.1%. That's 95 consecutive quarters of positive international same store 95. growth. 95. In the U.S., it's 26 consecutive quarters. company has obviously just knocked the cover off the ball over the years, You know, starting from the time where they admitted their pizza was not too great, and they put a whole marketing campaign about that, and we're, we're quite honest with consumers, which I love, and, and we've talked about that before. You love it as well. And, and since then, it's just shown up in the numbers. Another really important thing they did was they identified the franchisees that were not doing a great job, and they took the franchises away from those and reallocated them to folks that were going to do a better job. So that, in conjunction with the marketing campaign and making the pizzas taste better, really drove the expansion over over the last you know six, seven, eight years. And a reason the stock may be uh, cooling off after results. Is the shares do trade at forty times earnings, so they've that valuation multiple that Ron just talked about has really expanded for for years, for a long time now. And uh, for comparison, Papa John's, which is maybe the strongest uh, kind of like-minded com- competitor, trades at twenty-five times earnings. Now, Papa John's have, has been struggling lately compared to Domino's and Yum's Pizza Hut twenty-nine times. That's a you can a fair comparison so as they, well. So they all get a premium, but Domino's. Far and away is at the highest premium. You know, an interesting thing that they they they're doing, and and some other companies like Jimmy John's have done it. They're doing a recapitalization, where they're basically uh, selling bonds. In this case, one point nine billion dollars worth of bonds, and securitizing it with all the revenue uh, of of the company, all the different ways the company makes revenue. And they're getting a better interest rate than they normally would have by kind of pledging all of this, these streams. Um, and they've done this before, and, and it's kind of a trend we're seeing. Um, and they're able to borrow at a, at a rate, you know, buy back bonds that are, are trading, you know, with higher interest rates, recapitalizing the company a bit. They're purchasing. They did a one billion dollar advanced 
share repurchase program with one counterparty to take some shares off the table. Um, so a nice recap at the same time that they're able to do as as the the cash flow is streaming in. And Ron, I want to allow you to take a victory lap here because you know <laughs> I don't you're, like, you're you're I don't like you're being laps. modest. But a lot of people who don't follow Domino's may be surprised to know that back in 2009, the stock traded at five dollars and twenty eight cents. And I mention that because that's when you recommended the stock. Yeah, November and, 20, 2008, actually. Okay, 2008, yeah. 528. Today, 528. stock closer to $200 a share. Not so, too shabby. So, I what did like, you see? What did you see back I then? I don't like victory laps because then I have to apologize for the ones that don't go right. So, I try to. Could try to be even keeled, and you've but, held the stock, but and I have you never not, have to work no, again. No, no. I sold the stock a long time oh. ago. I did very well. I'm not <laughs> complaining, but nowhere near this well. Um, and what I saw in the stock was kind of what we just mentioned that the company was about to um, revamp the whole business from the taste of the pizza to the marketing campaign to replacing the the poor uh, B or C level franchisees. Um, and it seemed to me that that was it was a pretty good bet at that point from a value investing perspective. And let's talk about that marketing campaign, because as you mentioned earlier, it's just incredibly self-deprecating. They showed focus groups. They acknowledged that one of the most common criticisms of their pizza was that it tasted like cardboard. <laughs> and, I, and I love that, right? Because then you root for the company. They're being honest with me. Right. So, let's so, pivot to Chipotle. <laughs> Because we've been talking about their queso, Ugh. and their queso is really taking a lot of a lot of heat, a lot of criticism. Why doesn't Chipotle just come out and say we kind of blew it with the queso? We're trying to make it healthy. People don't want healthy queso. They don't want horsey tasting queso. They want yummy, yummy queso. Does it taste yes. like horse? I'm just saying. I, I use horsey as thing? like they're solving a problem that doesn't exist. Horsey yeah. sauce. Yeah. I think they're going to have to do something because I think it's pretty universally um, not well received. So. You either take it off the menu, you improve it, or you leave it and and be self-deprecating. I think leaving it and being self-deprecating is probably the last thing they'll do because if people aren't going to buy it, what's the point in in having it? Um, so um, I think they're going to have to just go back to the drawing board. It was on the drawing board for a really long time. Yeah. That's why they haven't had it for all this time. They thought they finally got it right. They appear to have been wrong. Yeah, Mac, you're right. People don't want healthy queso. Queso is an indulgence. They just want to enjoy it. That's their daily or their once a week, whatever treat. Uh, but Chipotle overall, I want I want them to show us how they're better than average, not tell us. All these years, they've told us food with integrity, and it kind of period left it there, without really laying out. And Whole Foods uh, called them out on this as well, laying out why it has integrity and where they're sourcing it from and what makes it better. I'll compliment Whole Foods, which of course now is an Amazon, a part of Amazon. They have always laid out how they source their seafood and their produce and why it's better and how they're working with farmers to make it sustainable and better for the environment and more healthy for you. With well-detailed programs and explanations and supply chain follow-through, uh, something that I haven't seen Chipotle done. Chipotle instead puts an asterisk up and says, when we can get the pork from you know, small farmers, we do, but otherwise, you don't know what you're getting. So Chipotle, yeah, f- across the board, by being holier than thou, has ostracized, or uh, that's not the right word, but <laughs> turned off a lot of. Does consumers. it bug you when people say Chipotle yeah. instead of Chipotle? Yeah, I think, that, I that think really it really bugs me. me. Yeah. Well, I want to that that holier <laughs> that holier than thou point is, I think, a really good point, Jeff. Because, and I'm a Chipotle shareholder, but I want, and I've talked about this before, I want to create the sanctimonious index, <laughs> and the more sanctimonious and self righteous. The company or the CEO is the more I think 
it should be shorted. And that's based on nothing. <laughs> well, I, people I love no, to I, knock I, people off people or things off pedestals, right? That's right, just but our I nature. Also, I also think that that limits your 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 market opportunity. I mean, I think if you're if you're claiming to be something that you're not or that people don't care about, then I think you limit the number of people potentially that you appeal to. So like with with the queso deal, why doesn't Chipotle just come out and say this is a guilty pleasure? They could even have a little starburst up on the menu. Guilty pleasure, queso. And then bring in the Velveeta, or do you think that hurts the brand? <laughs> Too late now, I would say. Yeah, I think it, I think it hurts the brand, and and you, and you guys have made fun of me <laughs> before about saying it's the stabilizers that they that the average <laughs> store the average store puts in that cheese to keep that creamy consistency. Right. That they didn't want to have to use at Chipotle, so they tried their best to find a way to keep that creamy texture without stabilizers, and they just failed. They instead turns out it's, turns out it's not so easy. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have stabilizers. So they got give it. you straws instead. Here's some queso in a straw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Well, before we go to our next story, I want to say thanks to Slack for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app which brings all your team's communications together, giving everyone a shared workspace where conversations are organized and accessible. Slack connects the tools and services you need in one place. Slack allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. Guys, we've been slacking all morning we about Slack. this very show. Yes. You, you, you started our production meeting on Slack. Yes. You took it right here very into the early. studio. Yep. Very yep. early. And we've used Slack as a company for, for years now, and it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Loves it. We love it. Saves you time. Makes you more productive, Jeff. It does. It, it does. And it's fun, too. It is fun. Um, Slack has drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already use, like Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google Drive. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with over 1,000 apps. With mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. Okay, guys, I want to do something that we don't do very often on Market Foolery. And it's talking about Wall Street analysts upgrades and downgrades. Now, Jeff, we don't do that because upgrades and downgrades are not great indicators of future performance. True statement? True statement. In in the past, actually, they've actually been a good contrary indicator. That said, to the extent that most analysts, most sell-side analysts are bullish and putting out buy, buy uh, recommendations, they are right over the long term on good companies. One of the main reasons I think they're not good indicators is that they're typically based on 12-month price targets rather than long-term outlooks for companies, which is what we focus on here at The Fool. So it's very hard to get it right, you know, within 12 months. And 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 I think we see it show up in the data that these companies aren't. So you can get a downgrade of a company even though the analyst loves that company long term. They just think the stock might pull back within the next six months. That That's not really investing as, as we practice it. Okay, so we've given it some context here, mm-hmm. and we've qualified it, and we've said we don't really believe in these upgrades and downgrades, but they can tell us where some interesting kind of areas of concern are, right? Yeah, it's good to see what analysts are thinking about and uh, what trends they're watching and why they may like a business or, or have concerns about it, definitely. But as Ron said, especially new investors should generally ignore upgrades and and definitely downgrades. I've seen new younger investors; their stock gets downgraded and falls five percent, and they 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 get concerned and think, "Oh, I better sell it." It's been downgraded. Really, it, it may mean nothing at all, and it typically doesn't. 
And a little inside baseball, uh, institutional investors don't focus on it that much either, mm-hmm. even though you probably think they do. Um, buy side, uh, mutual funds, hedge funds, those guys, they have their own analysts to kind of decide whether a stock is a buy or not. The sell side guys who we're talking about now, who put the put the, you know the headline on sell, buy, neutral, those guys are used mostly for their industry knowledge, not for whether they think a stock is a buy or a sell. Okay, so in that spirit, let's talk about a couple of upgrades and downgrades. Buyer beware here. Guggenheim, um, Ron, a big Wall Street firm, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Downgrading Disney. And here's the interesting part of the story to me on concerns over rising cost at Disney as it tries to compete with Netflix with its streaming service. Um, Disney in August announcing plans to introduce that streaming service in 2019. So, what do we think of this idea that Disney is less attractive because it's going to have to spend more? To compete with Netflix, which, um, by the way, I think is spending a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect example of what, um, the short term versus the long term. So I think the analyst is right, and and about. The, the costs in the short term and the lead time it's going to take Disney to ramp this up. But even this particular analyst admits that long term, he likes the company and things look a little better. It's just that over the next 12 months, we might see costs spike and the stock could pull back as a result. Again, if you want to start playing games like that, where you're going to sell the stock and then buy it back and sell the stock and buy it back, you certainly can. But if you believe in the long term of Disney, let's call it five years from now, then there's nothing wrong with just buying it now and holding it and letting the volatility of the stock just take care of itself. Yeah, I think the I think it's right on of them to after the August announcement from Disney, which said we're going to pull all of our content from Netflix and do our own streaming service. It takes some time to digest what that's going to cost or what it may cost and how it may affect the business. And and by now it's a good time to come out and say, all right, we have new concerns because of these costs. So I think in that spirit, it's good to put these concerns out there. And as Ron said though, longer term they're optimistic. What's funny though and why you have to read downgrades completely as well, anyone who's concerned about them is the stock is in the high 90s right now. Their target is still $105 per share. So they're still looking for the shares to go higher than where they are right now, and yet they're downgrading it. So it's context is important. But Amex, so Netflix is has committed nearly $16 billion to content in the next few years. Which Six, seems like a lot. It's a fair <laughs> amount. <laughs> $6 billion this year alone. And the cable business for Disney is one of its most profitable. Of its four divisions, it's usually second or third most profitable. It uh, fluctuates between movies and the cable business. As we know, ESPN, the cable business in general, is under pressure as streaming grows. Uh, Disney is up against not only Netflix, but Amazon and Hulu and, to some extent, YouTube. And they're going to have to spend a lot of money to, indeed, capture the zeitgeist of a, of a change in how we view content that is already well out of the gate. But they've got a bit of a head start with that content, right? Their content, <laughs> some of it, I mean, is, is obviously the most valuable in the world, the Star Wars franchise, for one. But the delivery mechanism, yes. I think, is, is, is yet to be decided. And, yeah. and specific to Disney, I'm not actually sure yet if, if this works for them or not. Really? Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm unclear. Oh, I, th- I think it is a slam dunk. I, I'm unclear, but you know, at 17, 18 times earnings, you're not paying up too much, actually, at this point for Disney. Um, even 10 times cash flow or EBITDA, not 
that expensive. So even if you're someone like me who's not sure, you could probably still be a buyer of Disney and not get not get hurt at, at this level. Yep. At, at this price, I agree. I was looking at that as well this morning, Ron. It's, it's come down. The shares have come down some twenty percent in the past several months, and now at sixteen times expected earnings, it's near its average low. Okay, well let's let's talk about one more upgrade. And if you haven't figured it out now, this is just a cheap excuse. We wanted to talk Disney and Netflix, <laughs> and, and now we want to talk Square. Jeff Oppenheimer put an outperform rating on Square. I love that outperform. Um, Square is a payment processing company that hooks up to those credit card readers. Guys, we were talking before the show about how we we all love Square. Like I love seeing the little Square come out. Yeah, and and it's just I don't own the stock. Either do I. But I'm Jeff always does. I'm always happy when I see it. Um, so Jeff, what's well, going on? Well, there you go. Her? That's a buy right there. There you go. You know, and you're not the only one. I, I, for some reason, they're aesthetically pleasing to see, and it feels futuristic. And yeah, it does. It so does. yeah, two out of three here in the studio feel that way, and and that's the only reason I bought the stock. No, that's that's a bad <laughs> a joke that fell flat. No, no, I like it. I a like square it. Square joke. Yeah, no. Before the show, I was saying it's a twelve billion dollar company. Eleven billion dollars is based on the shape, and then yes, one billion dollars like is based on the business prospect. <laughs> so it's a, a recommendation in pro this year as well, and financial fintech, as it's called, and financial digital payments services have done well across the board this year. Visa, Mastercard, PayPal, Square, and the reason for that is obviously more money is being transacted. Digitally, uh, cash is becoming an anomaly almost. Uh, Square, where it fits in, is it's uh, it's disrupting the traditional system of if you're a merchant, a retailer, and you want to use credit cards, you have to pay thousands of dollars to get a machine and to sign these agreements and to hook into the network. Square has made a, a point of sale system that it basically offers you for free, free of charge. And most of us have probably seen them at a coffee shop or yep. some other place. And it's basically an iPad screen, or it looks like one, and every th- all the transactions go through there. But it's not only the point of sale that they offer and the easy hookup. You can be up and running in an hour with their system for almost no cost. It's the software behind the scenes that you pay for that helps you manage your business better. It's the lending services that Square offers to small businesses. So they're disintermediating banks as well. If you, They have some... Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they loaned more than $300 million last quarter to 49,000 different companies. So the average loan is $6,000. So I, I remembered the numbers. There you go. Um, so that's a small loan that is a short term loan. And they know the company's finances and cash flow very well because they see the, the money going through the business so they can make the loans more safely. So Square is using you know mobile payments, AI, and uh, uh, machine learning as well to build a new kind of financial technology company. All right, so we've said we've liked the shape, mm-hmm. and right. the business model seems to make sense. Okay, I got mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Twelve billion dollar company, not profitable, cash flow negative. Why would I be an owner of the stock? Well, they are going and to there, be, and there's some competition, right? I right. mean, in fairness, when you look at that space broadly defined, I see names like Apple and PayPal, and I'm like, you know, I've heard of them. They're 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 not small fish. No, they're not. Uh, What's funny though is they they're all joining the leaders instead of trying to buck the leaders. Meaning they're all allowing you to take Mastercard and Visa and, and whatnot. So as a shareholder in those, of course, I'm happy to see that as well. But why buy Square? They their losses have grown smaller and smaller quarter by quarter, Ron. And the business model lends itself to higher and higher margins over time. And they're expected to. They just uh, recorded non-GAAP profits 
this year, the last two quarters, and that's if you take out mainly stock-based compensation. Okay. And they should be gap, so including all costs, gap profitable or gap break-even next year in 2018, and then the profits grow from there. I so, would I would ma- imagine the the growth um, built in is pretty significant to be you know twelve billion is not the biggest company in the world obviously but th- those are real dollars so obviously folks are, are thinking significant growth over the next five to ten years. And the cash flow dynamics should be very strong and the uh, the leverage in the business should should really make itself shown as the business keeps growing. The other benefit is they're they're gaining larger and larger customers no longer just a single a person with the little square plugged into their phone, they're dealing with more and more retailers who have 500,000 in sales a year and up. So they're growing and their software sales are growing as well. Okay, well, it's my completely arbitrary exit question. <laughs> Over the next five years, on a desert island, Disney, Domino's, or Square? I'd rather have Domino's because you need food on a on a desert. Uh, how about oh, but how about the stock? Meant? How about the stock? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm gonna give you an, uh, a counterintuitive answer for for me, mm. and I think I would say Square because I think that is much more a bet on the future of, of where this tech fintech is going, and I think it seems uh, like a, a more exciting investment than the other two. I would say Square as well because they're still young and smallish in the United States, and they're just entering the UK and Australia and other countries overseas. So they have a lot of room to grow. And I think Ron made a key point. It's all I find Wall Street and investing right now as interesting as I've ever seen it because the changes are arriving so rapidly, and they're so connected to us, the consumers, that we can really see them and and see how they might play out. And that's why Disney is under pressure. That's why Square is gaining some market share. It's why, well, so many things have done well in recent years, from Facebook to Netflix to you name it. But uh, Square is looks like a company that's future-minded, and Disney looks like it's trying to catch up. How about you, Mac? I think you're, you're a Disney guy, aren't you? You know, I am a Disney guy. Um, it, it's funny. Over the last few years, it's been one of my worst performing stocks. You right. know, so you, you, you never it's know. One in of the my term, longest term right? holdings. I and, bought and it for Crocs, my kids when they were born. Crocs has just been on fire. Yeah, and, and I been. finally bought Crocs. You know, a while back because of you, Ron. And that's a little just, bit of a different type thing. That's it's almost, true. That's a, that's a real value investment. It's like a dead Crocs bounce. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I wouldn't bet against Disney either. I mean, you, to produce great content is not easy. As easy as Netflix yeah. may make it seem. Uh, I am a little bit concerned, though. If can anyone burn out the Star Wars franchise? Will we ever tire of it? Will the storyline get? I don't get, know. I don't that's, know. That's I don't. I don't think so. But I want to take the contrary view and and what happens if I'll we t- if we do. Tire. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good question. I'll tell you my my focus group consisting of my oldest son is all about Stranger <laughs> Things. He's right. all about Stranger Things and Netflix now. Yeah, and. You know, like Star Wars, but I, I don't think near as much. Hmm. So um, I have underestimated Netflix for far too long. Stranger Things figurines in the local Toys R Us anytime soon? Uh, um, no, but he's he's dressing up for Halloween, nice. and I you know I, I may I may throw my Stranger Things costume. In That's a great picture. Too. Already at, at Max House, they're wearing Halloween costumes. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> they're ready. Is that wrong? <laughs> Not at all. Okay, Jeff and Ron, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mike. Thank as always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.